0: Thanks for tuning into Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. In this episode, we're talking about a new Charlottesville tourism initiative to promote local Black artists, musicians, and entrepreneurs. The initiative is called Discover Black Seville, and they're launching Saturday, March 26th at the sixth annual Vibe Fest Music Festival at Ix Art Park. And stay tuned in the second half of the show to hear from another podcast you might enjoy from the Virginia Audio Collective. It's called Intersections in Public Service, and it's all about the public servants that run our government, nonprofits, and help form and nurture our communities. But first, I'm going to hand things over to Sarah Howarth, who talked to Jawara King. He's a local musician, you might know him from his band Vibe Riot, and he's on the steering committee for Discover Black Seaville and also the organizer of Vibe Fest, an African-American centric music festival here in Charlottesville at IX Art Park.
1: I'm Jawara King, also known as Jawara King, program manager of Vibe Fest, MC for Vibe Riot.
2: So first off, can you tell me a little bit about your music and Vibe Riot?
1: So my music is based off of the band. So it's organic live instruments, but I also fuse it with sampling beats and different sounds. But yeah, it's a mix of reggae, hip hop, rock. I guess artists that are in the same vein would be more like The Roots, maybe a little bit of Tribe Called Quest, a little bit of G-Funk, some of the sounds that maybe you might hear from uh, Dr. Dre behind Kendrick. So that's kind of the vein.
2: That sounds awesome. And how did you first start off creating music?
1: At first, um, just I've been writing pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, Started off with song lyrics, poetry at the same time. because I I thought that being a good poet would make me a better writer. And um, I still believe that. I got to give a shout out to Nikki Giovanni because I definitely took some of her classes because I thought that would make me a better poet.
2: So we heard a little bit about your musical journey, but what was your journey to becoming involved with Discover Black Seaville?
1: So I think definitely because of the mission, pulling the community together, really trying to give a spotlight to um, the Black community, because I felt like there's a lot of great events that happen around Charlottesville, but I felt like oftentimes we would be kind of included as like the token inclusion or meeting a quota kind of thing. And so I felt like we need our own thing to share our business, our entrepreneurs, our art, and our experiences and um, and make it be known that we are here in Charlottesville.
2: Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Discover Black Seaville? So what is going to be taking place at the March 26th launch at Ix Art Park?
1: So it's going to be a uh, Kind of a black business expo um, in the morning, kind of running side by side with the, um, the market, the morning market at Ix. We have um, some of the best regional bands playing at the festival, um, as well as an uh, international DJ. I think it's going to be one to remember, one for the books.
2: And then I also read that there was a mural being unveiled or that was going to be a part of the event. And I was wondering if you could speak a little more to the mural and its creators.
1: There's so much going on in that day that I'm glad you (laughs) you said that. Yes, there's definitely the mural is going to be revealed. It's a project that's been going on for over a year now, I believe. And so we've got a mural that I think really lets it be known that, um, Black Seville is here thriving, you know, we're putting it up on the wall and it's a it's a beautiful display. I don't want to say too much because I, I don't want to ruin the, uh, the reveal, but the image is is really striking, colorful, empowering, it's something that people can look up to and, and feel good about. Again, it gives back to the um, Black Seaville community and so that they can look up and, and see themselves represented in the city as well.
2: Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. You revealed just enough, I feel like, and I'm really excited to see what it actually is when it does get unveiled really soon. Um, And then I keep seeing the tagline Vibe Fest. What exactly is Vibe Fest and who's performing?
1: So Vibe Fest is a fest that gives a platform to underprivileged artists in the region. I guess think of it as a, like a Made in America fest they have in Philly or the Roots Picnic they have and also in Philly and New York and expanding. And um, and we've got reggae. We've got Mighty Joshua and Design Five. We've got funk, hip hop, R&B, soul and um, the Fuzz Band. We've got kind of a fusion, um, I'll say alternative hip hop. And r&b with um, vibe riot we've got barina taylor and friends we've got terry the hippie bringing in like afro soul and afro pop um, and r&b and we've got nikki McMullen, who's a force of nature um, as our host and she's also performing with mighty joshua she's a soul singer we've We've got a a nice, strong showing of all the different angles of black music, except for maybe maybe the blues is not represented specifically, but you might get some blues. You might get some blues, like a touch of it. Verena Taylor or Nikki might might give you some of that if they so choose. It's just a strong showing of black music at this fest this year.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. There's so many artists coming out and how can community members best support Discover Black Seaville aside from attending the national launch?
1: Off of the the main tourism website, I believe it's visitcharlottesville.org. There should be a link to Black Seaville and you can see all the businesses in Charlottesville and all the events coming up. Also, you can go to Instagram, Black Seaville on Instagram, Black Seaville on Facebook. Those will definitely take you to the website and also contact information is on those sites too. There's posts regularly, several times a day, most days. And so you will really get the heartbeat of what's happening and you'll stay in tune with the events. I think that's one of the best ways to, to learn how to support um, the efforts and just raising our, the visibility of what we're doing and, um, and also showing up in person whenever you can. I think those are the best ways to support it.
2: I hope the event goes so well. I'm sure it's going to. I'm really excited to see what the mural is. And yeah, thank you so much for your time and sharing all of that with me. I will absolutely send a link to the episode as soon as it comes out so that you all can have it. But yeah, other than that, thank you so much. Thank you. For more information about Discover
0: Black Seaville and a list of Black artists, collectives, and Black-owned businesses, go to visitcharlottesville.org slash black seville And for more information about the launch event on March 26th and VibeFest, check out viberiot.com. Both of these links are in the show description. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. And now, we'd like to share an episode of Intersections in Public Service. In this episode, Esther Erickson von Allman speaks to Sandra Carter from the Piedmont House, a transition house in Charlottesville. Piedmont House provides housing and employment assistance to citizens returning from incarceration. Ms. Carter discusses her personal experiences working as a peer support specialist and also shares her future plans to become even more involved in supporting local returning citizens.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Esther Erickson-Wenalman and I'm one of the media interns at the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about transition houses, which play a key role in many individuals' transitions from prison back to ordinary life. While the past two episodes have been focused on legislation that aims to assist returning citizens, today I'm hoping to look at the issue from a local level, and learn more about the people who work with returning citizens on a daily basis. I had the privilege of speaking with Ms. Sandra Carter, who works as a peer support specialist at the Piedmont House, a transition house for formerly incarcerated men in Charlottesville, Virginia. Ms. Carter is also hoping to create a new transition house in Charlottesville that will care for formerly incarcerated women specifically. So, without further ado, let's get into it. A local organization is working to help returning citizens get back. To help here. returning citizens. It is especially important for returning citizens. The I'm judge. a returning citizen. I just did. Yes, we are
4: hurting. The problem we're trying to solve here is giving people a foundation through which they can then become productive citizens.
3: year, almost 8 million people are released from American prisons and jails. That's more than all of Chicago and Los Angeles combined. As Cassie discussed in the past two episodes, re-entry into society after serving time is oftentimes incredibly difficult. In some states, returning citizens will not have access to welfare. In others, they may be barred from certain occupations. Returning citizens are 10 times more likely to be homeless and five times more likely to be unemployed. And even once returning citizens find employment, they suffer a permanent reduction in their lifetime earning potential, by nearly $180,000. In one study, 91% of returning citizens reported being food insecure. Additionally, of households where at least one family member was incarcerated, 70% reported having difficulty meeting basic needs, such as food and housing. So, it's perhaps unsurprising that within three years of their release, two out of three returning citizens are re-arrested, and more than 50% are incarcerated again. There have been legislative efforts to assist returning citizens by, for example, banning employers from asking applicants about their criminal records or repealing welfare bans. However, these types of bills take a long time to be passed and actually go into effect and returning citizens need immediate assistance after release. Transition houses can serve as one way to address those immediate needs. Transition houses, or halfway houses, are shared residencies that returning citizens can stay in for limited periods of time, ranging from three months to multiple years. The term halfway house is sort of an umbrella term. Sometimes people may be required to stay in transitional housing as part of their sentence. These types of halfway houses receive funding from state correction departments, probation or parole offices, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons. In these cases, individuals live in a group environment under a set of rules and requirements. They're expected to attend certain programs, abide by curfews, and maintain employment. It's important to recognize that some transition houses are very much an extension of the carceral system of justice in the US. However, in other cases, people voluntarily stay in transitional housing in order to secure a temporary sense of stability in their lives. At transition houses like Piedmont House, residents have a place to stay and also have access to services that we often take for granted, like internet and computer access. Overall, though, transitional housing is very limited. Fewer than 1% of people released from prison have the option of going to transition housing. I spoke to Ms. Sandra Carter from Piedmont House to learn more about what it means to work in this area of public service.
5: My name is Sandra Carter. I'm 50 years old, and I work at the Piedmont House. And the Piedmont House is a transition house that I help guys that come from out
3: of jail, and I help them transition back into the community. A Charlottesville native, Ms. Carter has always been passionate about social justice issues. And two years ago, she picked up the phone and called Piedmont House to ask if they were hiring. She interviewed with them the next day and was accepted as a volunteer. And after volunteering for eight months, Ms. Carter was hired as a peer support specialist where she would be tasked with helping residents find housing and employment.
5: My light bulb flew on was like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be, and this will help me get to where I need to be to open up the transition house for the women.
3: As a peer support specialist, Ms. Carter basically handles everything and anything for the seven residents of Piedmont House.
5: I'm the only one that really works with them one-on-one. I counsel them when they need it. I also help them to get their Medicaid, their ID, social security card, birth certificate. I connect them with resources. Even if they need substance abuse classes, I also help them with that. We have some guys that have came in with um, mental and I have connected them with region 10. I've also done disability for guys that then came in there. I, I, I do a lot. and. I'm to go to. They uh, look for me all the time to help them. Today was a relaxed day for the guys. Only one went out to work today. So when they, when they got up, I had breakfast cooked for them. And so while they was eating, I was doing my paperwork. And then after everyone ate, we had a meeting today. I want to know how you know their week was. How was their work week? How they talk to their children, their parents, or anything that's stressing you. That went on for about two hours. And then I got lunch ready, did some more paperwork, and got dinner, and then a couple of guys needed to talk to me one-on-one. We talked about things that they can do this week to make sure that they have a good
3: week this week. In places like Charlottesville, where housing is becoming increasingly unaffordable, It can be incredibly difficult for returning citizens to find housing. Keep in mind that if you are a full-time worker making minimum wage in Charlottesville, your annual income will be just $15,080. But at $1,325 a month, the average rent costs $15,900 per year. Charlottesville is becoming so expensive that between 2010 and 2018, approximately 1,500 low-income residents moved out of the city. On top of this, both landlords and employers can be hesitant about leasing and hiring to individuals with criminal records. As a result, a year after release, roughly 60% of formerly incarcerated people remain unemployed. And 75% of returning citizens report that it is extremely difficult or impossible to find a job post-incarceration. Ms Carter engages directly with community members to advocate for her residents. The cost of living is high. Um, so
5: when these guys come to us, they're only making like eight, nine, maybe ten dollars. And so for them to get out here and find housing and find um, affordable housing, it's sometimes it get overwhelming for me and them. Mm -hmm. And that's part of my job is to help them find housing. That's one of the obstacles. And then the second one is when I'm looking for housing and I introduce myself to the landlords and then I start explaining to them, you know, where I work and and what my job consists of. And when they find out the guys have felonies, then they don't want to rent to them. Even on my time off, I um, research, I I, I go to places, um, I'm always out there uh, thinking about um, places that I can go to for employment for these guys, and what I do is I will go out and I would talk to the employers and assure them that, you know, these are some hard-working men that's looking to work and and looking to transition back into the society. So I have built great relationships uh, with a lot of employers. I'm constantly always out here, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to people and building relationships so that the guys, when they come out, I want to make sure that they have work when they come out.
3: Working at a transition house is hard work. Ms. Carter makes sure to be available for her residents almost around the clock. But that hard work pays off. In the past year, Ms. Carter has worked with approximately 75 men. Just three have gone back to prison since. That's a 4% recidivism rate. Keep in mind that the national recidivism rate is 50%. Just one person's hard work and compassion can have a tremendous impact on an entire community. The work she does is focused on relationship building and earning the trust of her residents. A stark contrast from the punitive system of justice that incarcerated people are often subjected to. And from talking to Ms. Carter, it's clear that this is so much more than a job.
5: I don't get much sleep. I'm constantly out here trying to make sure the guys transition back into the community um, as smooth as possible. I, I know that it's going to be some, you know, trials, but, you know, I always tell them that I'm there if they need me. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm constantly on the phone with one of them every day or maybe two still helping the guys that done transition out here that still needs help.
3: In fact, Miss Carter's so good at her job that after just two years at Piedmont House, she's actually become a bit of a household name in this type of social work.
5: And then I have guys that that just now coming in, and they would say, oh, Miss Carter, someone told me to come to Piedmont House because it's a young lady there that loves to help people, and she has a passion for what she does. And it was just this guy, he just got there, and he said, um, he said I'm coming because of the things that I've heard other guys say, that you're very passionate, and you care what happens to men when they come out.
3: Having worked at Piedmont House for two years now, Miss Carter has seen over a hundred people come and go. But when you work with people so closely, you remember their names and their stories. Miss Carter has fond memories of many former residents and can tell you all about the success they've experienced after leaving Piedmont House. She told me about one resident who we will call John.
5: When he came out, he had nothing. He was homeless before he went in. And he would have been homeless if we didn't have a transition house. Uh, from our talks, he had burnt a lot of bridges with his family members. So so no one would take him back. He had to come to us. And if it wasn't for the transition house, people like that would be homeless. Mm-hmm. So it's a great need and, a, and it's, it's a must for us to have. Mm-hmm. He just left probably about a month ago. He came in and he got to work right away. And, and I told him, I said, you know, this program will work if you work it. He told me that that stuck with him. And so, yeah, a full-time and a part-time job. I was able to help him find housing and funding. And he done transitioned out. And from there, he done got married on his way to have a um, another baby. Doing very well. I have, I have a lot of success stories.
3: From her work at Piedmont House, Ms. Carter has become inspired to start her own transition house called Restoration and Hope House. Unlike Piedmont House, Restoration and Hope House will help formerly incarcerated women specifically. Her house will be different in a number of ways. For example, she wants to prolong the amount of time residents can stay in addition to providing her residents with transportation and the resources to rebuild family relationships.
5: I always wanted to open up a transition house for women. Um, like I said, I just never really knew how to get started. The house will hold twelve women. I want to bring in the health department, doing some classes with them, bringing in social service to do some parenting. If the women will have children, help them reconnect them back with their children. Doing some counseling about reconnecting, you know, with their parents if they're still living. So it's a little different than what I'm doing now. I think it's so important to cut connect them back with their family. The program that I want to run, I want it to be at least six months because the Piedmont house, you can only stay there but 90 days is not enough. It's not enough time. And I'm also, I want to bring transportation so the ladies wouldn't have to walk or mm-hmm. catch the bus to work.
3: Helping returning citizens with family relationships is one of the more overlooked issues related to re-entry, but over half of incarcerated individuals have children under the age of 18. Families often have to shift childcare arrangements when a parent is incarcerated, and children might need to be cared for by grandparents or other relatives. Preserving these relationships between parent and child leads to better mental health and development outcomes for children. But providing these types of holistic services costs a tremendous amount of money. Around $25,000 a month to be exact. Ms. Carter is in the process of securing funding for this house, finding grants, and seeking donations from community members to make this dream a reality.
5: I can't stress this enough. I'm very passionate about what I do. Mm. I love my job. I love to help people. If you were asked any of the guys that have left the Piedmont House, or the guys that's there, or the staff, or the board, the first thing they will tell you is, I go over and beyond for the guys that, that comes through the Piedmont House. I care
3: about what happens to these guys. And the people she works with really care about her, too. Remember that former Piedmont House resident named John I mentioned earlier? After staying in Piedmont House, he wrote a letter to Miss Carter expressing his gratitude for the work she does. Ms. Carter read this letter aloud during our conversation.
5: To the Piedmont House stand, board members, District 9, Department Correction,
4: please allow me a brief moment of your time to express my great appreciation for Ms. Carter and the work ethic that she brings to work each and every day, regardless of what she's dealing with in her personal life. This is a young lady that's more concerned about the residents' welfare on a daily basis. I witnessed when residents had no concern for their own well-being, Ms. Carter shared and expressed ways of coping through them with residents. She has opened up a group meeting with residents so that we can share our inner self and feelings, release without guilt, and embrace the moment that we have for myself and family. She has more than a kind heart, not just to watch over us, our comings and goings, but also how we are after leaving the Piedmont House. Her work speaks for itself. Residence has been greatly assisted by being placed in housing, jobs, education, when residence has nowhere to go after leaving the Piedmont House. She has a great future in the transition field. I'm hoping that she can bring more positive projects to the Piedmont House. She's been great at what she has to work with. She's a driving force on this program. Thank you so very much for your time.
3: This was the last episode of our three-part series on returning citizens. In making these podcasts, I've been able to learn a lot about how public policy and public perception has marginalized returning citizens in Virginia and the United States at large. Being a public servant does not necessarily entail a career in politics and passing legislation is just one way to support returning citizens, but certainly not the only one. Confronted with a damaged system of justice, public servants like Richard Miles and Sandra Carter are working to provide a safe place for returning citizens to feel like they belong and like they matter. If the letter Ms. Carter just read didn't make it obvious enough, even these smaller acts of compassion and service can have a large impact on a person's life. If you're interested in learning more about or potentially supporting Ms. Carter's new transition house, you can check out the Instagram at Seaville Restoration and Hope. Thank you for listening. Bye, folks.
0: To hear more stories about public servants like Sandra Carter, you can find Intersections in Public Service on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and, of course, on the Virginia Audio Collective website. That's virginiaaudio.org. To learn more about the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service, you can follow them on Instagram at Weldon Cooper Center, Twitter, UVA Cooper Center, or LinkedIn, the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at the University of Virginia. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our producer is Sarah Howarth. Our theme song is "Kyoja Beat by Marino Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard.